Well, what do people do in the old days when they saw something cool happen in their life or around them and they wanted to share it with others? What did people do? Well, if you think about it, they had to rely on either word of mouth or their own description, or maybe they had to pull out a newspaper or a magazine or a book and show people, this is what I saw happen, right? Uh, Things have changed a bit in the past few years, haven't they? What do we do now? (laughs) Most of the time, we point people to the internet, right? Show them a YouTube video or a link or some website that describes what happened. Um, Even imagine just a few years ago, we had to wait if we saw like a funny TV commercial or a a famous play in sports, we had to wait until at least the evening newscast to show other people or hope that the commercial gets replayed. But now we can just in a few clicks of a button, a few seconds, pull something up and show people, right? It's pretty great. Um, So if we see, say, a highlight reel goal where a hockey player comes around the net and uses his stick lacrosse style to fling it in the upright corner, say, hey, you can see this right now, online, let's go. Or say we see a hilarious comedy routine that just has us in stitches and laughing hysterically. We can take people right to the internet and say, hey, look at this, you can laugh with me. Or same thing if there's a song that just moves us to tears. There's got to be a link online somewhere or a music video that just blows our mind for creativity. We can do all this in such convenient and quick ways now. And I was thinking this week of how much we, we get to excited about showing other people things like this. We really do. We get excited to show people what we've seen and say, look at this. It's so great. And I thought, do we get as excited for when we see God do something in our life? Do we get as excited and want to share that with others, to show people what he's done? It's a tough question. I don't know if we do that often. But scripture is chock full of people telling us to look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. To marvel and to talk about his wonders that he's performed on earth. We're going to be looking at a psalm today that in the Bible that tells us to do just that, to see what God has done in our lives and to share that with others, something that is infinitely more valuable than sharing just a few internet videos. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 66. Psalm 66, towards the middle of your Bibles, you'll probably land in Psalms. Psalm 66, I want to pray as we begin this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray as we come to it now that you would um, enlighten our eyes to see your truth, help it to grow deep in our hearts, and help it to change the way that we live. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we don't know who actually wrote Psalm 66, but whoever did wrote a pretty passionate song that tells us some very important things about God and how we relate to this God. The first thing that we'll see that the psalmist establishes is actually the foundation for everything else we'll see today. It's the foundation for the entire psalm. And that's this, that God deserves audible praise for his glory. This is what we're going to, everything else in the psalm is built on, that God deserves all praise for his glory. And it's not just all praise, it's audible. It's, you can hear it. And he deserves this because he is so glorious. Read with me in Psalm 66, verses 1 to 4. 
says this, Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. So right off the bat, we're told to do three things, all of which require our mouths. Did you notice that? We're told, first of all, to shout with joy to God. And then we're told to sing the glory of his name. And finally, we're told to say to God how awesome are your deeds. All of these are audible forms of praise to God. Do you notice who is told to praise God? It's all the earth. Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Later on, all the earth bows down to you. The psalmist pictures the entire world bowing down to worship our God. And you might think, wait a second here. Verse 4, where it says, all the earth bows down to you, they sing praise to you. It says all the earth bows down to God, but if you look around today, that's not true, is it? We don't see all the earth, all the people on the earth worshiping our God. So what gives? What does the psalmist mean that all the earth bows down to worship the Lord? Well, several other translations, the NASB, the New King James Version, uh, among others, they believe there's one additional word in this psalm that makes a huge difference. And that word is will or shall. The NASB says all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. The psalmist is imagining the future day when everyone will bow before the Lord. Really, there are only two types of people in the world. Those who worship God now, both now and the future, and those who will worship God in the future. They will bow their knee. Philippians chapter 2, the very famous verse says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, you might ask, why should we praise God? Why is this so important that we audibly praise God? And really, it's hard to know where to begin. Because we're going to get to more specific reasons in a bit, but right off the bat we see an underlying reason for all the praise we see here. You notice verse 1 and 2, Shout with joy to God all the earth, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Why should we praise God? I would answer because he is so glorious. Because of his glory. If you remember, we defined God's glory a while back. And God's glory refers to a comprehensive whole of his attributes. Okay, so his holiness, his justice, his love, his grace, his mercy, all of these are aspects of his glory. Here we see another aspect of his glory, and that is his power. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. When we delve into exploring the glory of God and what that includes, we'll never run out of reasons to praise God. I can promise you, we will never 
We're not run out of reasons to praise God. Loudly and continually. You ever thought, as the psalmist says here in verse 1, shout with joy to God, all the earth. You thought about the fact that we're actually told to shout his praise? That's not a whisper. Shout his praise. I mean, we understand well that we're to, to sing or that we should pray with praise, but we're given the command to shout to God over a dozen times in just the Psalms alone. These days, I think we become a pretty quiet church. And, I mean, we, see, we may sing loud, which is great. I've been blown away with how well our church sings. It's great. But do we ever shout out with joy to God? Do we ever cheer about what he's done in our lives? Maybe we should. It's a very biblical way to praise him. I hope that you're pushing yourself in your own life, pushing yourself to more openly and more passionately praise God. No matter what form that takes for you, small steps are okay, but we should always be growing in this. We can't read the Bible, we can't read the Psalms and come to the conclusion that we should worship unexcitedly. That's impossible. You cannot read that. Danny Aiken says that casual worship before our great God is impossible. Casual worship before our great God is impossible. I believe we should all be growing in this area, becoming more comfortable to express our full emotions to God, whether privately or publicly. I think that often the only reason we don't is because we have the fear of man not the fear of God. We think of what other people are thinking of us, not what God thinks. I'll just make one other comment here, and that's just to say that no matter how comfortable you are in openly worshiping God, don't ever look down on someone who is, say, more open than you. To be very blunt, they're obeying the scriptures better. So we see here that God deserves all praise and loud, audible, continual praise because of his glory. We might say, Pastor Matt, I can't really see what you're talking about. I can't see his glory in my life. How are we supposed to praise him for this if I can't see it? Okay, If I don't know how to identify it, why, how can we praise? And while we see his glory in many ways around us that we may not ever recognize, but we do notice one way here. And we, know, we learn from this psalm that God's glory is noticeably displayed in his awesome works. We see God's glory made manifest in the way that he works on earth among us. His glory is noticeably displayed in his awesome works. In verse 3, what we already read, the psalmist says that God's deeds or his works or his actions are wonderful and awesome. So great is his power. And then we come to verse 5, and it says this, Come and see what God has done. How awesome his works on, in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious 
rise up against him. It's like, you haven't seen how great our God is? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. When was the last time that you saw a movie that you got so excited about, so passionate about, that you had to tell people to come see it? Or you had to go again and go see it yourself, again and again. I mean, for me, uh, probably a year ago or so, the movie Inception came out. And I loved Inception. I loved the plot. I loved the acting. I loved how it made you think at the end of the movie. And so I would tell people, come and see it with me. Or I would buy the movie and have them over to see it. Like, you got to see this movie, how great it is. And this would be like what the psalmist is doing here, except for something much greater. And that's God's works. He's like, come on, you've got to see what I've seen. You've got to see God's works. They're awesome. Let me show you. And then he proceeds to talk about them. What awesome works does he want to show us? In verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. So he talks about, first of all, the greatest miracle that they had seen as the people of God. They, couldn't, they could not imagine a greater miracle than, G, than God coming and splitting the sea with Moses. That they could walk through an absolute mind-blowing miracle that God did for them. And then he talks about how God rules the world forever with his power. And he watches the nations. He's always observing what's going on. These are awesome works that he's done, and he does. Psalmist is going to get to some more in a minute. Even though these are in the past, though, he wants us to see them. Imagine if we're there to see the results of what God has done. These are awesome works of God. But they're not just random works that God does to exhibit his power. Did you see in verse 5 who he's done these awesome works for? You notice that? It says, come and see what God has done, how awesome his works in man's behalf. How awesome his works in man's behalf. He's done these awesome works for us. That's grace. That God would do anything on our behalf. And it's like the psalmist is telling us, he's wanting, he's just wanting people to notice how God is working around them. Hey people, pay attention. Have you noticed how awesome God's works are? Have you noticed what he's done for us? Let me ask you, when was the last time that you remember noticing something that God did in your life? When did you notice something? When was the last time you had an overwhelming sense of his love for you? When was the last time you noticed God's glory displayed in any way? When was the last time you felt the effects of his grace covering your sin? When was the last time you saw one of your prayers Faithfully answered. These are ways that God's glory is displayed in our lives. Have you noticed them? We need to open our eyes to see God's glory around us. 
because they are displayed around us all the time. And this is going to lead right into the next section of the psalm, because here we're going to see that simply seeing or noticing these is not quite enough. We'll learn this, that we should frequently recall how God has worked for us. We need to be constantly recalling how God has worked in our lives. We should frequently recall and remember how God has worked for us. This is what the psalmist does next. He starts recalling more ways that God has done awesome works in his people's lives. Start in verse 8 with me. It says this, Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. The Psalms and other scriptures so frequently remind people of what God has done. You ask why we need to keep recalling this. Why do we need to keep remembering this? And I'd say because we're so forgetful. Even when our God graciously and repeatedly and powerfully shows his glory to us, we forget. You may have just had a hard time thinking of a time in your life when God worked. Well, he has. We forget. Tim Keller says this, We hold on to the things we should forget and forget the things we ought to remember. How true is that? Here the psalmist points out a few more ways that God worked for them. Just skimming these verses, he's preserved our lives. He's kept our feet from from slipping. So he kept them alive, even in very dangerous situations. He kept them secure and safe. Ways that we would all agree would be great things in our lives. But did you notice here a third way that he worked on man's behalf? In verse 10, For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. Look at what these people went through. You tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison. You laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. And yet this time is counted as one of God's awesome works? What's with that? That's not how I feel. How would imprisonment and slavery be considered an awesome deed? Of God's. How is that even possible? If I was imprisoned or enslaved, I would not feel this way. I'd probably feel like God abandoned me, had left me to rot. How does prison and oppression count as an awesome deed of God's? And I'd say this because God was working through these things. He is working through these things to bring about a great result. The result we see, he brought us to a place of abundance. He refined us. When we have the right perspective, we realize that even the hardest times in life are tools in God's hands. They're tools to help us grow closer to him, to make us stronger, to refine us. He uses that picture of being refined like silver. If any of you have a ring or rings on or another form of jewelry made out of a gold or silver or metal, I want you to look at it for a minute. Okay, Look at your jewelry. 
kids, you can look at your parents' jewelry or someone else's around you. But before this jewelry became beautiful or a work of art, it had to go through a process of refining. People don't just go and mine gold and silver and pull out beautiful jewelry. The metals have to be purified first. They're put into a furnace, often multiple times. Now, nowadays, they have some fancy methods of doing this. But in the old days, they had to put it in a furnace over and over again to get rid of any impurities, other kinds of metals or rocks or dirt or other ores. They had to purify it. And so when we say God refines us, God refines us, he is purifying. He's making us more like him. He's making us holy. Up to this point, you might have thought, all this about praising God for his glory, it seems pretty joyful to me. What about when I don't feel joyful? How could I be expected to praise God when I'm not very happy? Well, I'd say this is part of your answer right here. Did you know that God uses the hardest times to help grow you in holiness, in likeness to his Son, in good character, in fruits of the Spirit? In the tough times, God is doing some of his greatest work on you. And it can be really hard or even impossible to see it at the time. But in the long run, you look back and you think, God, thank you for being with me in that time. Now I see what you were doing. Now I see how you were working on me. Might not see that for years or even until heaven. But we will. You're finding us. And remember also that joy doesn't equal happiness. We aren't required to be happy to praise God. Joy should go deeper than that. There should be joy in your soul no matter what is going on in your life because of what God has done for you. So you might be here today and you're going through one of these times. It's really tough. Now, you're not imprisoned or else you wouldn't be here. You're not enslaved, I sure hope not. But there can be some really incredibly hard seasons in our life. Maybe... You've lost a job recently. Or you're struggling to make ends meet financially. Or going through a bad situation at work. Maybe you're having a really hard time with a family situation or a family health issue. Maybe you've been praying and praying and praying for God to work in the situation and you haven't seen him answer. Listen, even if you can't even comprehend how God could ever be working in your situation, he is. He's working on you. He's developing your character, stretching you, testing you, refining you, purifying you. Here's the thing. Circumstances in our life will always change. They'll always change throughout your life. If your life is really good right now, trust me, you will go through trials at some point, through testing. If your life is really hard right now, the common phrase, this too shall pass. 
This too shall pass. Circumstances change. But here's what doesn't change. If you're a Christian, you are loved dearly by God. You are known by God. You're not alone. You're alive. You're redeemed. You're restored. You're forgiven. You're saved. And you're secure. Even though you're not worthy of any of that. You don't deserve these things. But those don't change. They'll always be true for you if you're a Christian. Think about what God, as we read this psalm that was written 3,000 years ago, think about what God has done for his people since the time of this psalm. Out of the love that he had for us, he sent his only son into the world as a man who lived 30 some odd years on earth, lived a perfect life, and was eventually killed. That's sacrifice. He was killed, betrayed, arrested, convicted of crimes he never committed, and then unjustly crucified on a cross which paid for the sins that we committed against God. Three days later, he rose again, promising us new life through that resurrection. And after Jesus went back to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, who guides us to this day, seals us, empowers us, sanctifies us. He also gave us the church to help us grow in our faith and in our love for one another. If you're a Christian, he's given you a new life, a new purpose, a new future keeps forgiving us over and over again, even though we keep sinning again and again. He just keeps offering us grace. He answers our prayers. doesn't have to. We are permanently and completely and forever saved by the blood of Jesus. I'd say that Christ saving any one of us Just one of us. Saving any one of us is a greater miracle than any splitting of a sea he did. It's true. And we say we can't see how he's worked in our life. If you're not a Christian yet, you haven't put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins. All of this that I just mentioned is offered to you. But you must respond to this offer of salvation. And accept Jesus as your Savior, the only one who can save you. I'd love to talk with you more after the service. If you have questions or you just want to talk about things or pray, come talk to me. I'd love to do that. But for the rest of us, the fact that God has done so much in our lives, so much awesome works, it also calls for a response from us, a continuing response. In the rest of this psalm, we're going to see how to respond. But they're intrinsically tied to the third point, that we should frequently recall how God has worked for us. And we do this, first of all, with thankful worship. We need to recall how God has worked for us with thankful worship. In verse 13, which we're going to read in just a second, it's the first time in this psalm that we see the word, I. 
Up till now, it's been God has done this, God has done this, come and see what God has done. And now in light of all this, the psalmist says, I will do this. Read with me in verse 13. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you in an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Now you might be confused and say, how is that worship? But in this day, the sacrificial system of the Jewish people was their primary method of worshiping God. The sacrifices of rams or bulls, or goats. This is what God required of the Jews for this time. And fulfilling their vows was the most major way that they showed their devotion to God, showed their worship to God. Apparently, we can gather from this that this psalmist had made some promises or vows to God when he was in trouble. He says, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. Have you ever done that before? You're in trouble in your life, in a tough situation, something in your life's going wrong, so you start making promises to God. God, if you get me out of this, I will do this. God, if you will get me through this test that I didn't study for, I will memorize the book of Romans. Or <laughs> if you will get me back together with my girlfriend who broke up with me, I'll tithe 5% instead of 4%. <laughs> Just crazy promises that we put ourselves or give, our, give God from us. <laughs> I would have never recommend doing this because we, we learn from Scripture, God takes our promises, God takes our word very seriously. But that's apparently what this psalmist did. He was in trouble and he made some vows to God. Like, God, if you get me through this, I'm going to come and I'm going to offer these animals to you as sacrifices. And he says here that he's going to go and fulfill these vows in Jerusalem. He's promising, I will hold myself to my word. I'll do this. But the response of thankful and grateful worship is a good one for us to emulate. Not necessarily making the vows in haste, but worshiping God. When we see him work in our lives, thankfully, gratefully. When we see what God has done for us, it should make us want to break out in praise. And much more often than just Sunday mornings here. Your weekday should be just brimming with praise for what God is doing, what he's done. So sing songs throughout the week. <laughs> Say prayers. Talk God up among your family or friends. Think of how you can glorify God with what you have, with your resources, your money, your time, your energy. How can you worship God out of thankfulness for what he's done? Because no matter what you're going through in life, you do have reasons to praise. You do. And you know what? It's interesting. As we talk about the sacrificial system, the New Testament actually tells us to keep offering sacrifices to God. No, not burnt offerings like goats or bulls or things like that, but a sacrifice of praise. In Hebrews 13, it says, Through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. I'm told to continue, offering our worship, our praise, our good deeds as worship to God for what he's done. So thankful worship is one way we should continually recall God's works. A second way we can do, we see in the last few verses of the psalm, is this. 
that we should recall what God has done by faithfully retelling these things, with faithful retelling. The last few verses here are basically a personal testimony. Read with me from verse 16. It says, Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Now, earlier in the psalm, you remember, the psalmist told people to come and see. Now he appeals to another one of our five senses. He says, come and listen. Come and listen to what God has done. But there are two major other differences between these verses. Earlier, who was he talking to? When he said, come and see what God has done. He's talking to everyone, right? He's talking to all the earth. Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Then he says, come and see what God has done, how awesome his works on man's behalf. Here, who is he talking to in verse 16? Come and listen, all you who fear God. All you who fear God. He's narrowed his audience. He's narrowed it to fellow believers in God. So we need to, what I take from that is that we need to be reminding each other as believers of what God has done for us. The second difference is in what God has actually done. In verse 5, he says how awesome his works in man's behalf. In verse 16, he says, let me tell you what he has done for me. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Makes it personal. God has done great things for all mankind, yes. God has done great things for all people. But God has also done great things for me and for you. There's an interesting little rabbit trail we could take here. Where In verse 18 it says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You might ask, does this mean that God doesn't answer prayers if we have sin in our hearts? And I would say the answer is yes and no. Yes and no. If we have sins in our life that we have confessed and we are fighting against, I believe that these do not hinder your prayers. Because you have confessed your sins. You're working on repentance. That's good. All of us are in that boat. We will forever be in that boat until heaven. But I believe the sins that the psalmist is talking about here is unrepentant sin. Sin that we know is there we don't do anything about. Notice that he said, if I had cherished sin in my heart. If I had cherished in my heart. The word the NIV translates cherish literally means to see with pleasure. To see with pleasure. So is there a sin in your life that you take pleasure in? That you don't want to repent of? You don't want to fight against? This verse says the Lord will not hear that person's prayer. I can ask, last week as we talked about idolatry, is there something in your life that God convicted you of? That there's a, a sin in my life I need to get right. If you don't, that's unrepentant sin. You have still not repented or turned away from that sin. And I believe then in that case, God will purposely not hear your prayer. It's a scary thought to not have him hear us. 
But all that said, this wasn't the case here. This wasn't the case for the psalmist. This was just a theoretical for him. He's like, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard. But he says, instead, he takes great joy in reporting how God had answered his prayer. How he had worked. He says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Have you recognized what God has done in your life? Have you seen it? If not, you need to start paying attention. See the way he's working. Take note of them. Praise him for them. Talk to others about them. In the good times or the bad times, he's working on you. If you're a Christian, you can praise like the psalmist did here. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love for me. You cried out to him too. He answered your prayer. He gave you salvation. He has not withheld his love from you. In countless ways, he's given you love, grace, mercy. He's given you his righteousness, his Holy Spirit. He's blessed many of us in our own lives in many ways with health or family or homes. What has he done in your life lately? And how can you thank him for it? How can you praise him for it? How can you frequently remind yourself of what God has done for you? In what ways can you faithfully recall, retell, remember how God has worked for you to other people around you? Maybe this week there's someone that you can go share your personal testimony with. How God saved you. Testimony is going to be a powerful tool to show people their own need for a Savior. When you say, I needed one. I needed Jesus. And he saved me. Are you struggling with sharing your faith? Perhaps this is the way that you can start. It's an easy step. Just share your story. What God did for you. Maybe this week as a family... You can talk to each other about ways that God has been faithful to you. Ways that God has worked in your life. Perhaps around the dinner table. Even today, for Sunday dinner. Talk about what God has done in your life. Maybe you have a Christian friend you can go to. And you need to ask them, what has God done in your life recently? What has he done in your life? You can encourage each other in this. To see how God is working. Maybe you're here and you think, well... I'm not in this book. God hasn't saved me yet. But I want him to. I want to see these things in my life. God is willing to save you. He's waiting to save you. If you only ask him. And if you do this, as I pray you do, you will have a story to tell. You'll have a story to tell. There, that's the case for everyone here who God has saved. We all have a story we can tell. There's an old hymn that you probably know all, all know well that I had Grace play for the offertory today. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story. I want to read you the lyrics of this hymn, though, and I want you to ask yourself as I read them, could you honestly sing these lyrics? Do you love to tell the story? 
of what God's done. The story of what Jesus has done for us, the story of what Jesus has done for you. Let this challenge you to faithfully retell the awesome works of God on your behalf. The hymn goes this way. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can too. Nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. And then the chorus goes, I love to tell the story, t'will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. You have a wonderful story. A wonderful story, it will never get old because Jesus story never gets old. It needs to be retold again and again so that we remember it, so that others will hear it, and so that God will get the praise for it. Let's pray. Lord, you have been so good to us, and so often we come to you in praise, and we don't even think about what you've done. We don't contemplate how great you are to us, how good you are to us, what you've done in sending Jesus to die for us, how how many blessings you've given us. All of that's grace, and we thank you for it, God. We pray that as we go today, that you would be reminding us, what have you done in our lives that we would remember to bring praise to you for them. We thank you again. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.